You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. On Monday, after an hour of hurting small children around on a t-ball field, dealing with kids, uh, trying to tell them which way to run on the baselines and everything else, and I, I was I was feeling good, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, yeah. my phone starts blowing up. And a lot of people going, are you doing an emergency podcast? You're going to do something tonight? And then I see something about, well, I guess we'll find out if they have more outfielders in uh, AAA that are available to play this year. And I was like, oh no, Luis Robert is really hurt. And it's a gut punch. It hurts. There's there's no other way to take it except for it hurts. I, I get a kick out of the stupid takes that I've read. Ozzie Guillen's offspring, Ozzie Guillen Jr., tried to call him an average player and was uh, <laughs> ripped apart on Twitter for it as people pointed out how much above average he has been contributing at the plate and defensively. He was breaking out. Uh, you know, I know your dad was a good manager, but you should shut up. You don't know anything about baseball. I don't even know if you're watching the games. Never speak again. I've seen these uh, these fans ready to slit their wrist. I'm not ready to do that right now. No. no I'm going to no, tell no. you something right now. At the beginning of the year, Carlos Rodan was going to suck. Let, let's be honest. All right? Uh, we didn't know if Andrew Vaughn could actually stand out in left field and be competent catching a ball. We, we, had, we had absolutely no clue. There were a lot of question marks and a lot of questions that have actually been answered in a positive way. That doesn't downplay the fact that you lost Aloy Jimenez before the season started and you lose Luis Robert now, but I personally believe both will be back at some point before the season comes to a conclusion, and a good manager should get this team into the postseason. We're about to find out whether or not a Hall of Fame baseball person still has it. Because trust me, there's no way, Ed, that Tony La Russa would have taken this job if he knew he wasn't going to have Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. If his buddy Jerry would have called him up and said, Tony, you want one more run out in the sun? You want another want another season with the boys playing baseball at 76? He would have said, not a chance with that outfield that's out there right now. So he, you know he's in panic mode. The best thing for White Sox fans is the fact that that old man is like, oh no, and probably knocked on his, his buddy Jerry's door immediately after finding out that he had lost Robert for 12 to 16 weeks with this hip flexor and said, you've got to help me. It's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. We've got a lot of cover today on the show. The Sox with their initial moves, what we think they're going to do here in the long term. We have James Fox on the show from Future Sox. He was already scheduled to talk about the start of the minor league baseball season and prospects in the Sox system, but we're going to ask him the all-important question, is there an answer down in the minor leagues? My name is Chris. This is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. It's brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. If you have any foundational issues, you need a sump pump repaired, you need something checked out, the phone number is right there on the logo, or visit them at famws.com. My friend, how do you feel? Give me your initial reaction. Well, my, my initial reaction when I saw it was... I cursed. I, I, I said a naughty word and Who I said it really loud. If you didn't curse, listen, my 13-year-old cursed. He apologized yeah. and I said, it's okay. It's you, you understandable. I'm, 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 like you said, it's a gut punch. It, it's hard to fathom this lineup looking at what they have immediately available to them 
they were supposed to be this very, very dangerous lineup. And they were supposed to have very good pitching, and they were going to have a gold glove center fielder and a really good right fielder to make up for the deficiencies in left field. There, There's a huge component of this team now that is gone in terms of Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. And, you know, when I was sitting there writing the blog and trying to work some stuff out, you know, for myself more than anything, it was kind of a therapeutic blog this week. I kind of likened it to, you know, being a fan of the Bears in 86, 87 when Jim McMahon gets slammed by Charles Martin. The season's not over. It's going to go on. But you really better hope that Andrew Vaughn is not Mike Tomczak and Adam Engel is not Doug Flutie. Well, Andrew Vaughn is going to play more now. I'm going to say this right now. He's going to have to. Andrew Vaughn, who is now the guy with the highest ceiling available in your outfield. He is right now the highest available ceiling. And and by a wide margin. If you take out the first 10 games of the season, he's clearly your best hitter in the outfield right now. If he's not out there every single day, I don't want to see any more of this. He's not ready yet. He has to be. You have to play him now, Tony. You can't play any more games. And, and and this is the thing. Like, there's so much to unpack over this thing. But some of my first thoughts, the Wolves are out now for Tony, right? Did you notice that? Like, right after this injury happens, you got Jeff Passan yeah. writing yeah. something, just ripping him apart and talking about how in the locker room and in the organization there are people that don't like him and they, they're not getting along with him. And then you see Ken Rosenthal write something very similar and dive into him. And isn't it funny that on this show before, we have talked about how Passon is clearly Han's guy, that whenever Han wants something out, that's his guy, and that Rosenthal is Williams's. Yes. And if you don't think that what has happened over the last couple of weeks with questionable decisions and things that were not in lockstep with what the organization wanted, the guys who built this team, who didn't ask for this guy to be the manager and were already frustrated with him, for that to all start coming out, after he goes on uh, in, in front of the press and downplays the injury, which he was clearly out of line to do because he is not a doctor and he was wrong. So when he sat there and said, this isn't like with Aloy's injury. Well, guess what? It was. You it shouldn't is. have been speaking to people about injuries. So there's a frustration level and phones were picked up and articles were written. So that's the first thing that I noticed that happened at, that, that happened around this injury. There are people in this organization didn't want this guy this guy wouldn't have taken this job if he was going to have this kind of outfield because this is basically this is your rebuild outfield right now. You have a you have an outfield comparable to what you marched out there in the lean rebuild years going forward here for the majority of the season unless you can do something else. So he wouldn't have wanted the job. They didn't want him. It the the injury is not on him. Okay, the injury is a freak injury, but injuries happen. And trust me now. If he can't find a way to win with this team, they're they're circling him right now. Those that didn't want him are going to are going to go after him. It's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. It's not going to matter to Jerry. Jerry Reinstorf could have 10,000 people stand outside of his ballpark tomorrow with signs holding up all of LaRusso's mistakes and calling for his firing. Two weeks later, he'd be sitting in front of Chuck Garfine in a friendly interview with softball questions and would be poo-pooing it as, those are just some fans. You can't make all fans happy, but the people I'm talking to and the majority of fans, they don't feel that way. Jerry Reinsdorf will never care what your opinion is here. And whatever gets out in the press isn't going to matter, but those that work for him 
are angry about that hire, are angry about the fact that you see him playing these old school baseball games with a team that was constructed to be run a different way. And even though sometimes his decisions have been right, some of his decisions have also cost the team. And now this team's behind the eight ball and the Sharks are circling. And it is going to be fascinating to watch now how this goes because Tony still has a good enough team to win this division, Ed. Tony has a lead on the Minnesota Twins, the only team that really matters in this race because Kansas City will not keep up this pace. He has enough of a lead right now where essentially the Sox could play 500 baseball and they'd have to play well over that to dig themselves out of being under 500 and four or five games back from the White Sox. Mathematically, their bad start gives him an advantage. He, if he is such a good manager, should still make the postseason. And if he does not keep this team going, those Sharks, they're going to keep going to the press because they don't want him there. And that's why I guarantee he was in Jerry's office already saying, get me something. If if, if Rick Hahn comes to you and he's able to get somebody and it's going to cost you money, I need something. And it is going to be fascinating to see which willpower wins now within this front office and with this manager and with this owner, what is going to happen next? Because adversity has come to this team now, and you can already see these little things popping up around it. Yeah, and and that's everything gets magnified if they start losing, right? But if they keep winning, then at the end of the season, regardless of what's happened with injuries or whatever, Tony's bad decisions here or this questionable thing here, I mean, some of that stuff gets lost in the wash. Because I'm sure if we go back to 2005 and you go game by game, inning by inning, there were people saying things about Ozzy that, you know, he wasn't pushing the right buttons here, there, or whatever. I'm a little less worried about Tony's decision-making up to this point as it relates to what he's going to do going forward, only because it's going to sort itself out in the fact that there's no way any manager, I don't care if you're a legit Hall of Fame guy or you are brand spanking new to the game, If he goes out there and for the next few weeks he starts running Jake Lamb out in left field and the guy cannot play and the guy is not hitting. He should be fired. He should be fired. If he is running Billy Hamilton out in center field and Hamilton doesn't start hitting. He should be fired. Billy Hamilton is a pinch runner. That's what he is. I mean, you might have to roll him out there. They went out and they got Brian Goodwin. That's the first thing that they did. That was their knee-jerk quick reaction. Because he's available. He, he He was let go by the Pirates. He's available. He was let go by a team that DFA'd multiple center fielders even after the season started. They've oh, DFA'd yeah, they like they're, two or three center fielders. They're just running through center field options on the waiver wire trying to find one because they don't have one in the entire organization, and he couldn't make that team. So he's a replacement-level player who's 30 years old that a rebuild team isn't interested in because they're trying to find somebody who's young who is more of a measuring stick during spring training with the Pirates and now sits out there and is waiting. He is a center field replacement level player. It's an indictment on your minor league system that you don't have that already that you can bring up and play in center field, but that's what he is. They still have other moves that they have to go and make. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. 
and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Joining us on the phone line, and you know what? It's funny, James. Every time I have you scheduled, something happens between when I say, come on the show, and then you're actually on the show, which makes the interview take on a completely different shape. James Fox from Future Sox on the line with us right now because we're going to talk about the minor league baseball season and White Sox prospects and things you might not know about going on down there. But then we also have the shadow over us now that Louis Roberts injured, and I'm going to at some point have to ask you the question, do they have anybody that can come up and actually play the outfield? How are you, James? Oh, I've been better. <laughs> no, we were, you know, we were, we were just talking about, and obviously it's a White Sox podcast and like we're doing the prospect thing like all week. I'm doing it at a bunch of different outlets, but you know, after the great weekend with my favorite football team this weekend, of course, like something was bound to happen with like your favorite baseball team. So here we are. The Bears go get a, a quarterback that makes you excited. And then Luis Robert uh, somehow disconnects a portion of his body from his hip, a brutal injury. And I want to get into the the minor league outlook, and, you know, I've got so much to ask you about with that, but let's lead off with the question because White Sox fans are asking it, even though I pretty much know the answer. What do they have down there? Is there anybody down there that you would like to see them bring up and give an opportunity to, you know, play every day or at least see if they have something? Is there another Yermin Mercedes who happens to play the outfield down in the minors or even a guy that's like two-thirds of Yermin? Not really. Um, so the problem is that it's like the need is in center field. Like, you know, I can break a store, a a small scoop like tonight, right now, like it's just like Gavin Sheets, you know, he's playing right field tonight for the Charlotte Knights. So he was supposed to play first. They're starting him in right field. I don't know what it means, but it's, you know, a little bit interesting, but I mean, he can't play center and that's where your spot is. Like, unless you're going to move Adam Eaton to center, like I don't really think that helps anybody i think luis gonzalez is a big leaguer i'm not sure that he's like a big league regular like i don't think he should be starting every day he probably shouldn't be starting every day right now but that's probably the guy that's going to get the opportunity to show that like you know at least maybe he belongs and he can play sometimes so it's not the billy hamilton and larry garcia show in center but i mean yeah like it's just uh it's it's rough because you know the, the guy should be adam engel but he's hurt too you know, like, I think, I think if you could put angle in center field, you could argue that, you know, with their good pitching, they could still just like win with defense and win differently, but angles out too. So they're in a, a really, really tough spot. So let's transition into talking about what's going on in the minors. And maybe I'll throw out a name here that White Sox fans from time to time will just say, well, what happened to this guy? So where is he this year? And what's the plan with him? A guy like Blake Rutherford. Yeah. So Blake Rutherford is in Charlotte. You know, it's his first time in AAA. I think the plan for him would be, you know, hopefully he elevates the ball a little bit more and he shows that he has more power than he's shown. And then he could possibly be used in a trade or you might be able to see him. You know, I think Blake Rutherford's probably a corner only guy at this point. Like a lot of scouts say left field only because the arm's not great. He's more of a hitter than a power guy, though. So it's a weird kind of profile. 
because if he's going to play in a corner, he probably needs to hit for more power than he's hit for so far. That's a left-handed bat trying to tap into more of his more of his power potential, and he's in the right ballpark to do it because Charlotte is an absolute launching pad, and that's an interesting team right now because of some of the guys that they've sent there. Who do they have down there? Like, are they the are they the most intriguing team right now? The AAA club. I remember for years you were just following that big cluster of prospects, but now a, a good majority of them have made it to the major leagues, and the White Sox are are now a team that's turned that corner and is now competing at the major league level. But are they the most intriguing of the minor league organizations right now that you're watching? So Char- Charlotte at AAA is pretty intriguing, and then Low A Canapolis is where. 10 of our top 30 at Future Sox are in low A Canapolis. So, you know, in Charlotte, you got Blake Rutherford, you got Luis Gonzalez in the outfield. Gavin Sheets is there. Jake Berger's there, which is interesting because that's, that's like a three-level jump for him. But I think the way this is, like, there's no reason to just, like, not have him in Charlotte, just skip over Birmingham. They've done that. On the pitching front, Zach Birdie, Tyler Johnson are both in that bullpen uh, making the opening day start for the Charlotte Knights, Jimmy Lambert, which, you know, is interesting. I think Lambert is going to be in the big leagues, you know, probably the second half of this season in the role that Michael Kopech is currently pitching in. You know, you mentioned Jake Berger with the big jump all the way to Triple A. The the Sox seem to have some confidence in him, which is, which is, you know, it's a feel-good thing. It makes me feel good as a fan when you see them do something like that with a player like Jake Berger. We talk with Devin DeYoung Recently, I would say in the last month, you can go back and find it on demand on SoxInTheBasement.com. And he was talking about the offseason last year, actually the in-season last year, the non-season for these minor leaguers. The White Sox took an approach of, well, we can't have them playing games, so if you need to lose 20 pounds, that's what you're focusing on. If you need to gain 20 pounds, that's what you're focusing on. If you had to work on this one mechanical hitch, that's all you were working on. And the results, he said, were very interesting. There are guys who made jumps in terms of their talent, even though they didn't even get to play in a season. Are you getting that sense at Future Sox when you're talking to other people around the organization? It's kind of the same thing that DeYoung was talking about with us. Yeah, I think it's accurate. I just think like, you know, for the purposes of what we do, you know, they didn't allow scouts last year. So like a lot of the information that I have is like internal and it's like from, you know, it's from internal sources. So like, you know, you always got to take stuff with a grain of salt that like comes from the White Sox, right? Because when they tell you stuff, like they want it out there. But yeah, like that's, so that's, it's a good segue to like Canapolis, right? Because that's probably the team that's the most interesting because it's super young. And the way the minors are this year, like I'm curious to see if like low A is just like super low to where it's like an advanced rookie league affiliate at this point. Because so like, you know, recent prep picks on the pitching side, Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, Matthew Thompson, they're all in the Canapolis rotation in low A. They're all either 19 or 20 years old. You know, they don't have many innings because of the shutdown last year. Bailey Horn is a, you know, left-handed college guy from Auburn who was essentially their third-round pick last year. He's down there. Um, But then on the positional side, it's super young. It's these guys that Benjamin Bailey's the big Panamanian outfielder. Chase Krogman and James Beard were recent high school, like, outfield picks. Jose Rodriguez is a Dominican shortstop. He's down there. DJ Gladney. Is a guy that Devin DeYoung's talked about a lot. He's a, you know, he was a 16th rounder a couple of years ago out of a Illinois high school, like power hitting third baseman. He's in Kannapolis. My favorite of the bunch is 19 year old Cuban shocker, Brian Ramos. Um, I think he could be the best of the bunch of all their young guys. He's, he's in Kannapolis. So that's like a really fun and interesting baseball team. I don't know how good they'll be because they're super young, but that's uh 
that's like an impressive team to follow. And that's like some of the stuff that the young is talking about, right? Cause we've had writers that saw these kids in Arizona, but I mean, that was like almost a year and a half ago now. So yeah, maybe they are ready for a ball. And that's why it's good to like, you know, they're finally going to get game started. Before I let James Fox from future Sox go, I've got to ask the question that I've become tired of myself. It's no offense to those that reach out and ask me about these two guys, but people are enamored with the idea that not only of uh, Yoki Cespedes, but eventually Oscar Colas, who is expected at some point to sign with the White Sox, like he's basically waiting until the next international signing period so that the Sox can sign him. Everybody seems to think it's a done deal, but there are people that believe these guys will jump to the majors quickly. Can you explain why that probably isn't likely and what is their real timeline? So Yoki Cespedes um, apparently is going to double-A Birmingham. So, I mean, he is kind of advanced. Um, apparently he has some sort of visa issue because he's not on the Birmingham roster yet. But Chris Getz said that like, that's where he's going. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty aggressive assignment. I mean, he is like 23, but you know, you've heard me say it before, like Regents field in Birmingham is an absolute graveyard. I mean, it is like brutal to hit there. Um, so, but I think defensively, you know, I think defensively Cespedes could probably play an outfield corner right now. I mean, they think he's a center fielder. Um, we'll see. It'll be, you know, it'll be the case with a lot of these guys, like how much the hit tool develops and how much like he can get to his big time power, like in games will determine it. But they think he's pretty good. Like I, we could see Cespedes um, in the big leagues. I would think next year at some point, you know, I this year is nuts. Um, but next year, maybe because, you know, they don't really have much to lose. I mean, they only spent $2 million on the kids, so it's not like they're going to take him level to level. Like, if they think he can help in the big leagues, they'll just do it. The issue with Oscar Colas is, like, he can't even sign with the team officially until January of 2022. So, I mean, if he signs with the team, if he doesn't establish residency in the United States before that, like, all this stuff is tricky. Like, he could sign with the, he could sign with the Sox and end up playing in the Dominican Summer League, like, next year you know, in 2022. So you, we might not see him for, for quite a while. Now he's interesting. Um, some scouts aren't really believers, but you know, that's a, that's just a, it's a big power bat, probably a corner profile, um, you know, right field, left field, maybe some first. Um, that's a guy that like you'd rather have than not have. Um, but he's, you know, he's not like replacing Jose Abreu on the big league team anytime soon. James Fox from Future Sox. Uh, right now, that website, futuresox.com, uh, is just chock full of information on what is going on down in the minor leagues for the White Sox. I, I know that was like a focal point for the fan base for a long time before the team got good, but there are still some really interesting things going on down there. So check that out. Check out what James is writing about. We appreciate you always jumping on the line with us, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for like not making me talk about Luis Robert that much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Ed, we always talk about Cork and Carry at the park, but a lot of people know that the original location is in Beverly on the south side of Chicago, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Historic location, great spot to go and get a beer with some friends. You can book all the rooms at Cork and Carry in Beverly and also that beautiful outdoor patio. That place is going to be hopping this summer, and that includes an outdoor comedy show coming up on June the 3rd. 
Open afternoon and evenings, comfortable seating, great outdoor patio, like I said, 10614 Southwestern Avenue in Beverly, Chicago. Get more information at corkandcarrybeverly.com. And picking up on the conversation we were having earlier with Robert Down, Jimenez Down, hopefully the both of them are back before the season's over and this team is still playoff bound. And you get a shot in the arm with these two guys actually joining the team. But there's going to be short-term solutions and long-term ones, right? You know, for the Sox, they're going to have to compartmentalize it a little bit because for right now, the month of May is going to be deciding where you're going to get coverage in center field and then hopefully, like you said, playing Andrew Vaughn in left field because his bat is is supposed to be on par with Aloy and Luis Robert. After the month of May, though, you can either look to the minor leagues, you can look to Adam Engel, or that's when the trade market is going to start to pick up. And you're right, they do need a veteran in all likelihood to try and backstop this, but I would suspect that there's no way that you're going to get an all-star caliber replacement at any point. So what's in-house is what we're going to see. Yeah, and the, and the rough news is finding out that Adam Engel, uh, on the exact same day you find out about the Robert injury, uh, you find out from Rick Hahn that his setback in his, in his rehab has him still three weeks away from baseball activities. He's not getting here till mid-June. So, you know, it, it's rough right now, White Sox fans. I get it. But you should still be able to make the postseason. I have not lost faith in the ability that this team could make the postseason. This is still a really good it team. It is still a very good team. And, and you know, a lot of this comes down to what do you believe about the manager of the team? Like, I didn't like the hire because I didn't like the fact that the the guy who was supposed to be in charge of the hire didn't really get a say. His owner stepped over him and and hired his friend. All right, that's fine. But I have been able to to kind of compartmentalize Tony's decisions. Like, let, let me just tell you what my theory of Tony La Russa is. Because I think people are kind of missing it. Like, everybody wants to sit there and say, well, he's he's old and he's he's forgotten everything and he's a terrible in-game manager now and I don't understand why he's making these decisions. But this is how I see Tony La Russa. And, and I hope I'm right because we need good Tony La Russa now. How I see Tony La Russa is he's a 76-year-old man who's in the Hall of Fame and has accomplished so much in his life that he is not going to have anybody tell him that he doesn't know more about them when it comes to baseball. I think of, like, if my dad, who, who was, you know, an expert in his field, was told now by somebody that he couldn't go back and do it, it would insult him. And he's in his 70s, and he's older, but he'd be like, I'm, I'm better at that. I was great at it back when I did it. I'd be great at it again. I think about how basketball players from other generations always get angry and say that they would have done well or football players like Wilt Chamberlain was like, I'm, I'm better than Michael Jordan and, and guys from Jordan's era and Jordan are like, well, I, you know, LeBron and those guys, they couldn't hang with me. And, and football players from the 1960s think they could play this game. There's always going to be a pride within somebody who has done it and accomplished it. And they don't want to be told that the game has changed or they can't figure anything out. So it didn't matter if Rick Hahn and the rest of the White Sox organization sat down with Tony and said, this is Lucas Giolito. These are his capabilities. This is what we think of him. Tony, in his mind, is like, yeah, that's great, but I'm the manager, and I'm going to find out what he is for myself. So I'm going to send him out there against all advice, because I guarantee Ethan Katz knew that he was out of gas in that start where he left him out there, which seemingly has really pissed Giolito off because... He should never have been sent back out in that inning to be, to be left to die. But the way that Tony's doing things is 
I want to see what this guy can do because until they've passed the Larusa test, I don't know what he is. And I felt like a lot of decisions this month where I got to find out what this guy is because, you know, I, I can evaluate these players better than anybody else. I'm Tony Larusa. Now, whether you agree with that or not, and that's not exactly a slight on Tony. I'm saying I understand it. I'm saying that anybody that is as accomplished as Tony Larusa, who's 76 years old and set in his ways, is going to sit there and do that. So my belief is when he leaves somebody out there way too long as a pitcher, he's testing to see what he has. I guarantee you he looks at Lucas Giolito and in his mind he goes, well, you think you're an ace, but a real ace would have found a way to power through that. But now I know you can't do that. That's where I think his mentality is. I put you in this adverse situation. Let's see how you respond. Look at these rookies over here. I'm going to bench them every once in a while without any other explanation except for you haven't earned it because that's how you motivate a player. I've been doing it like that for decades. I know best. I'm Tony LaRusso. And I believe that's how Tony LaRusso thinks. Now, he might be right because the idea that just because somebody is old that they are unable to do a job is wrong. It's ageism. It's wrong. There are guys who are older that can do jobs better than younger people. They can. He may walk slow. He might sound super old. And you might be like, oh my goodness, where is the energy and excitement that I would have gotten from a young manager? My hope is that that's what this has been. And that as he learns his team, we will see better decisions. If that's not the case, we are in so much trouble here because that would mean that he's been winning in spite of himself. And the more talent you take off the team with injuries, the less of a chance that that's going to happen. So when you look at him, do you think what I'm saying makes sense? Because it's got to make sense to me, Ed. Because if that's not the case, if he's not saying, I'm Tony LaRusso and I'll make these evaluations of these guys, I know best because I'm a Hall of Fame baseball person and I, and I know what I'm doing. And I will decide how long a guy stands in because I'm going to go test him by fire. The LaRusso test. And, and if that's not what he's doing, I think we're in a lot more trouble. If that is what he's doing, then I would feel like eventually he'll know his team well enough that he'll start making better decisions. I'm actually less pessimistic about that theory than you are because I felt like that's what's been going on. I, I, a lot of people are sitting there you know, screaming at him for playing Jake Lamb, and I'm going to use Lamb as a sacrificial lamb in this particular scenario, pun intended. But, I, you know, there's a couple of things that are going on there. One, Jake Lamb is a guy that used to have something, and the question is, does he still have it? And if he still has it, he can be of use to Tony La Russa. And April is the time to find out, not September, to find out if somebody like Jake Lamb has any value to you whatsoever. He's trying to figure out his bullpen and see what his pitchers can do in what situations, which is why you haven't seen him use guys necessarily the way that he should be using them. I don't necessarily like the fact that in his press conferences sometimes he's played a little dumb you know with with say the Matt Foster game or with leaving Lucas out there for for that inning that he had no point in doing but this is the time of year April and May when he should be finding out what his players are and what they aren't or what they they can or cannot do and I think you're right to use the Giolito situation I think he's looking at Lucas Giolito going all right are you the type like say your teammate Lance Lynn who can go out there without your best stuff, feeling fatigued, and find a way to fool the batters into not getting their, you know, not getting good contact? Or, you know, can you 
can you muster up something a little bit different? Right. If I need you, if I need you in a pinch, I need to know that I can trust you. And somebody else telling me isn't good enough for me. But it's not. No, no, no. It's not even that, Chris. It's not even it's not even that he has to make the decision. It's more, I think, that in a playoff scenario, in a game six or a game seven scenario, if Lucas Giolito says, Tony, I'm gassed. I don't think I got it. That's not the time to find out that a gassed Lucas Giolito really doesn't got it. Now is the time to find out that when he says, I don't have anything left in the tank, that he means it. And you better not t- send him back out there because a game in April to have Lucas Giolito give up a lead like that. Yeah, we're frustrated right now. You know, we're looking at it, but I would rather have him look back on that and go, I saw what the Rangers did to you back in April you're not the guy that I want to send out there on fumes because you need to have at least something. You need to feel like you got at least something in the tank to go out and give me more. So I'm going to turn to somebody else in that scenario. And it's not a knock on Lucas Giolito. It doesn't make him not an ace. All it makes him is just a guy that you have to use a certain way. And, you know, go back to 2005. Mark Burley had a rubber arm. You could throw him out in any situation, right? Right. Uh, Jose Contreras, you could you could ride him for a long period of time, you know, but eh, were you really going to do that, say, with John Garland? No. Does that mean John Garland was a bad pitcher? No, it just means that John Garland was not a guy that you were going to call on in that 14-inning game necessarily if you didn't have to because he he wasn't a guy that you wanted to use in that scenario because it was going to screw him up or he wasn't going to be effective. So it's it, I, I'm okay with him finding the stuff out, not because I think that he's Tony La Russa, damn it, and he, he's got to make the decisions, but I think he is trying to figure out who these guys are. And I think a lot of managers, a lot of veteran managers who have been there would have done it. I think A.J. Hinch might have been doing some of the same stuff, maybe not to the degree that Tony's done it. But I still think A.J. Hinch would be sitting there, you know, to be the guy that that everybody sort of wanted. I still think he'd be sitting there trying to figure out how far can I push Lucas Giolito? What can I do to Andrew Vaughn's psyche? You know, is he going to take it on the chin every time I, I, I bench him? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to be able to roll with the punches? And, you know, when it comes to somebody like Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb, I do think the one thing that Tony La Russa has as an old school manager is he has an appreciation for veterans who are trying to hang on. And I think he's giving them a chance, knowing that they are probably the first guys to go in these situations where a minor leaguer is going to have to come up or Brian Goodwin gets signed because now you have an outfield depth problem. Jake Lamb is the guy that's coming off the 40 man roster if they have to make a move to put Goodwin on the 40 man. They only signed him to a minor league deal. So he's trying to give Jake Lamb a chance to win another job somewhere and catch on in somebody else's minor league system because otherwise the guy's going to be on the street or he's going to be selling insurance. Tony La Russa said before the game on Tuesday, we will respond with a hellacious effort. I hope that he responds with that kind of effort too. I think this guy had to come to a moment after the Robert injury where he realized This isn't the team that I decided to come out of retirement for. But if I fail now, I go out a joke. Yeah. I don't think Tony La Russa wants to go out a joke. Now, now that is true. He, he, his legacy is on the line with this team now. And I think you might see a a few changes ever so slightly more and more. And I think in, in, in a month from now, I hope, I pray, we will see less of the things that were frustrating with him. And we'll see a manager that is figuring out how to win and overcome injuries. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks 
in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.